Welcome everyone, this is Jeff Cohn with the Wall Street Resource. Joining me is Sam Rubin. He's the CEO of LightPath Technologies. Good morning, Sam. Good morning, Jeff. Thank you for having me. Um, our, our pleasure. So, Sam, for those that aren't familiar with LightPath, can you just give us a quick overview of the company? Sure, absolutely. LightPath is a publicly traded company on NASDAQ LPTH, a microcap in the technology field called photonics. Photonics is really anything related to the interaction of light and matter, cameras, lasers, um, all the um, technology related to imaging in a way and to using light in, in different applications. LightPath is a um, component manufacturer currently transitioning into becoming more of a system solution provider. And the reason for that transition is that photonics altogether being a key technology is being implemented in more and more places. And with that, the different customers and companies that utilize technologies, utilize photonics, need different solutions than what they have today. And LightPath, with the subject matter expertise and domain knowledge in optics and photonics, is becoming a partner for those companies. And over the last two years since I joined as CEO, we've been taking the company from the $30 million size that was in making only optical components into a much larger company. Backlog increased significantly, and future sales are growing rapidly, and primarily into focusing on solutions for infrared imaging, including some exciting new products that uh, hopefully we'll get to talk about today. Okay. So it sounds like you're uh, addressing a pretty large market. Uh, is, is it a growing market as well? Yeah, absolutely. The, the market of infrared imaging altogether is about $5.8 billion out of now, as of now, as of this year, growing at a over 20% compounded annual growth rate in the last few years and expected to grow much more. I think it's a classical example of a place where the technology existed for many years, thermal imaging, for example, infrared imaging, night vision, but it was just so expensive and so complicated that it couldn't find its use properly. Now, in the last few years, a few technical developments and cost developments have driven really the adoption of infrared imaging into many, many more places, and that is growing exponentially. So it's sort of this case of the more available the technology is, the more applications will start using it, and the more the market will grow. And right now, with a nearly $6 billion market and 20% compounded growth rate, it's already growing pretty nicely, but expected to grow even more so as those technologies become available. And something like what we're doing with our new infrared camera enables and new applications that prior to that were not possible or required very expensive equipment. Okay. So, so since it's such a large market and given the size of the company, I imagine um, you're not the biggest player. Where do you fit in in this competitive landscape and, and, and where do you shine? Yeah, absolutely. No, you're, you're right that we're not the biggest player, although we're a very well-known player, having been a component, optical component manufacturer for over 30 years now with some key technology in that part. And so while we're not very well known for cameras yet, 
Um, we do have key technology that many players know. However, we are stepping into a market with much larger players, companies like Teledyne Flare and like some of the defense contractors and others. And what we're doing here is we've identified a changing technology and the change in the market that we're using as our, um, I'd say, tipping point to enter into what now is an existing market but actually changing it drastically. And that is all around um, sort of how compact and small the infrared imaging is. Today, when someone does infrared imaging, there's a few different, I'd say, modalities or different ways of doing infrared imaging. There is night vision, there is thermal imaging, and the thermal imaging gets divided into two, and then there is short wave that we are seeing through fog and clouds. But the key here is that the thermal imaging today is really requires two different cameras. One is called a mid-wave camera and one a long-wave camera. And both of them have different uses for them and there's a reason for it. However, until now, the mid-wave camera has been very expensive, $100,000 or more, while some of the other cameras are much cheaper in the thousands of dollars. But you still need to have a few of those. And so you see today drones or different planes or different applications with multiple cameras on them. What we're doing is we've identified that those, because of different technological uh, developments, those are getting now um, compacted or merged into essentially one or two cameras. And so today are starting to come out, and this is really our new product is probably one of the newest there or, or most cutting edge, are cameras that can do the job of what today requires two different cameras. And so our camera, which we named Mantis, because Mantis apparently is a shrimp that can see the 16 different types of color. <laughs> so it has a, uh, a unique ability to combine different colors together. And so our Mantis camera can today do the work which requires currently a mid-wave camera and a long-wave camera. And so we're combining it into one, combining Two cameras into one means half the power requirements, half the weight, half the cost. It's also automatically pointed in the same direction and imaging the same thing. When, when you have two cameras, you need to worry about which one is seeing what, and many more advantages. And so we're not only taking what today is a $100,000 mid-wave camera with a cryogenic cooling that makes it very expensive and difficult to use, and we're making it into an uncooled, very compact camera, like two inches by two inches. But we're also combining the function of two cameras into one, and really significantly reducing both the direct cost of the camera, but also, more importantly, the cost of ownership. The drone has half the weight on it now, requires half of the power consumption, and many more, and, and of course, the space for that too. And so we believe that this change in the market and this move towards these multi-spectral cameras, cameras that can do a few functions in one, is a major change point in the market. Okay. And we so, have gone further. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, please. Oh, and, and we've gone further and we've 
secured exclusively a unique technology that is required to that. So if you want today two cameras to do the job of one, you need a sensor that will see both colors, so both wave bands, and you see optics that can see both. And the latter part, the optics, is very difficult to achieve with current technology. What we have done is we've assessed our strengths and we went out and licensed the key technology from the government, which are optical materials that were developed exactly for this purpose of multispectral imaging. And we have now the exclusive usage rights for those materials, and therefore are really the only ones that can make the optical system that is needed to make use of those multispectral cameras. And so we're, we're using a changing market, a changing technology to go into a market that maybe we're not very well known for cameras in, for the end product, but more components. But we're then also taking a key technology and instead of using it as a selling point to sell more components using that key material, we're leveraging that key material to step up the value chain and make ourselves into a system provider, into a camera sales, a camera company. Very good. So you kind of answered my next question, which was, <laughs> is there anything proprietary here beyond uh, just cost savings and size savings? So you have an exclusive license. Uh, anything else proprietary? Yeah, so there are many different things proprietary in here. Essentially, when I, when I joined uh, two and a half years ago, we did a very significant strategic assessment of the company, realized what are our real strengths and what is not core to us. And then we're able to identify this market in which we can take some of our proprietary unique strengths and leverage them to make products that are better than otherwise available. So this camera, for example, is a much lower cost than current cameras, not only because it does the function of two cameras and does not require cooling, but also because the lenses and the entire optics is produced using a unique technology that we have of molding lenses into shape. And so instead of polishing lenses one by one as it's done today, we actually mold these glass materials directly into the shape of the finished lens, reducing the cost of the optics significantly and reducing the number of optical elements that are needed in a system So it's even further reducing the weight of the system and the cost of it. Okay. And so similar to that, we have other technologies in fabrication, in optical coatings, in different areas in optical design that are all coming together into this product. And, you know, as, as we know in strategy, the key is not to have one thing that differentiates you, but to have 20, 30 small differentiators that together make it much harder to copy and to, to enter your market. And so we're coming out with this product, the Mantis camera, that includes in it probably 10 different differentiating technologies, but key among them is this material that we have exclusivity for. Okay. And so what are your addressable markets? So what this camera allows to do is very interesting because now you can do with a $10,000 camera what before could be done with only a $100,000 camera. Finding the addressable markets is actually pretty easy. You just need to look at places where 
the only way to achieve what was needed with a $100,000 camera and find the places that we can do it with this $10,000 camera. And so some of them include, for example, in firefighting. Today, after the flames are put out by the firemen, remains smoldering. Smoldering is the process of burning slowly with some smoke but no flames. And essentially what you see is that after wildfires, the firemen remain on site for a long time. Sometimes it could be days or even weeks because the smoldering can keep going on for a very long time. The only way to see and identify the smoldering today is using mid-wave cameras. But the mid-wave cameras cost $100,000. And so coming out with a $10,000 camera that can do that opens up an entire market. And in the U.S. alone, for example, last year there were 58,000 wildfires. So imagine the number of resources it takes up from the fire department everywhere if they have to leave firemen on site to make sure the fire doesn't start again because of small things. The same is with regular firefighting, not even in wildfires. Um, if there's a, a fire, God forbid, on a house, at the end of the fire also a fireman stays behind, one truck, one engine stays behind to make sure there's no smoldering and the entire fire is put out. Firemen already use currently 160,000 thermal cameras a year. That's an existing market of regular thermal cameras. If we can tap into that market by now adding another advantage, another capability of that smoldering detection using this camera. Um, defense has a number of applications, you know, drones, loitering munitions, that is uh, what, what they call in Ukraine today the suicide drones. All of those have to use these $100,000 camera, making them extremely expensive. If we can enter that market, we can save $90,000 per drone in cost. That is very, very significant. Um, I, go ahead. Uh, well, the, the $100,000 camera by, uh, that exists currently versus your 10000 does that have a lot more capabilities than the 10000 Oh, absolutely. It has, it has some capabilities that don't exist in the 10000 So, for example, the $100,000 camera, because you have to cool it cryogenically, it also makes it into a more sensitive camera. And so that camera can see for a distance of 60 miles, for example, where our camera can do the same mid-wave imaging, but it cannot necessarily see for that distance. And so we're not trying to address the entire market of those $100,000 cameras. There's areas where they're needed and will continue to be needed. What we're finding is that there's a very significant market out of the 2 million thermal cameras that are sold a, every year today, a significant portion of that requires mid-wave imaging but doesn't require that cooling, that cryogenic cooling. And so with our Mantis camera, we can do that mid-wave imaging at a $10,000 cost label and without the cryogenic cooling, so it's also a longer lifetime and a smaller size and weight. And, and there's a handful of pretty significant applications that could benefit from that. Okay, so it sounds like you're going to be disruptive for at least a part of that market. Uh, when are you able to start shipping this product? 
Uh, we're able to, to ship pretty much immediately. I think we have already a, a couple or so of customers that are interested to get products right away. And so right after the holidays, I think we're going to start building in, uh, in a larger volume of those. And we're going to keep testing, and we're going to work very closely with customers, with the uh, Department of Defense, on testing the camera in many different applications to identify exactly the places where a $10,000 Mantis is good enough compared to the $100,000 cold mid-wave camera today used. Okay. So if we look at your business in terms of Mantis as uh, sounding like the future and, the, and the, what you've been doing as, as a legacy business, what's happening with the legacy business? Is that stable, growing, or, or shrinking? Yeah, the, the legacy business is growing nicely. Actually, we just recently announced um, some new defense contract also in the infrared, but in the component or assemblies business, but not the full camera. And that brought our backlog up to $30, $31 million. So that's compared to prior records where $24 million backlog, or usually we would run at a $20 million backlog. So we're looking at a 30 to 50% organic growth of the existing component business, even without just go, going into the cameras. Now, Very nice. looking at the cameras, you know, you can see that if there's the 2 million cameras sold, sold a year today, we've been shipping lenses to many of those. And our lenses could be, you know, single dollars or tens of dollars per camera. We're now moving into the whole camera, and we're talking about making cameras at thousands of dollars and so on. The volumes of the market are not going to change, maybe, maybe even grow with newer applications available. But what we're doing is we're stepping up now with this key technology that we're leveraging for this. We're stepping up from just selling lenses for those 2 million cameras a year, now actually entering the whole market, the camera part, and selling cameras. And so, you know, you're looking at much higher unit prices, and therefore we expect revenue at the top line to grow significantly with still healthy and even better margins at some point on those cameras. So do you have any supply chain issues, or you guys are the supply chain since you make a lot of the components? Yeah, so, so we are the supply chain in many ways. We actually, um, you know, we didn't men I didn't mention it in, the, in this context, but... Part of the advantage of these new materials that we license from the government and we produce in-house in Orlando, we produce about 10 tons a year of glass here in Orlando. Part of the advantage of them is they displace a material called germanium that is used today in many of those systems. And germanium comes almost exclusively from China and Russia. And so we're also working very, very closely with the government, with different uh, branches or different offices in DOD to have these materials adopted into use instead of germanium in order to resolve the supply chain issues that DOD faces. And so I'd say because we're vertically integrated now for making the glass itself all the way to the final camera, we not only don't have our any major supply issues in that sense, but we're also actually solving other potential supply chain liabilities for the Department of Defense and the U.S. government. So how about capacity? Uh, where, where are you? Are you able to scale? Yeah, so we're, we're able to scale pretty nicely. We have, because we're a component manufacturer and had a 
have been for, for many, many years, we have capacity in which we produce up to 4 million lenses a year already. And so the, the part of the capacity that we need to expand on is mainly around the assembly and integration part. And that part is done here in Orlando. And we are already in the process of expanding in Orlando. About a year ago, we signed a lease to essentially double our space in Orlando, Florida. And that is a clean room environment where we would do the assembly of these cameras, calibration, testing, and so on. Uh, but you know, if things goes well, we'll, we'll hopefully need to grow even more in terms of capacity. So in, in terms of uh, your customers, you're going from components to solution. Is that going to require a different sales channel for you? You know, that's, that's a very interesting question. And uh, we, we've contemplated that quite a bit. And what we found is that already organically, because the adoption of, the, of new technologies is happening by larger companies that are not necessarily from the field, we're already working on solutions for some of those companies in the sense that we're designing the optical system for them. And we're, we're providing them other assemblies. And so when we first announced this and started talking to customers, it seemed very natural to the customers that we're going to make this step. And not a single person except myself, maybe, which I tend to question myself, but not a single person came to us and said, why is a component company now making cameras? Because the complexity is in the optics, making an optical zoom lens or lens assembly that can maintain focus over that entire very wide range of wavelengths, of colors, of uh, spectral, that is the, really the biggest challenging part. It seems very natural to people that the company that is doing that part is now going to take the detector and integrate it together. Okay. And, and then how about the revenue model? Um, is, is that going to change much, or is that basically the same? And, and gross margins should... Where should those be and relative to yeah yeah absolutely uh, revenue model would be would be the same of course um, you know as the saying goes war is good for business so our revenue right now in the defense sector is growing considerably and we expect this camera to find many applications in the defense area and there between loitering munition these kamikaze drones or other munition um, they tend to these kind of cameras get tend to have a much shorter lifetime in the field, not because they have a problem, but because of the way they're being used. And so they're not as much as a capital spend in terms of buying a complete new uh, vision system or, a com or installing a satellite high in the sky. They're almost like consumables viewed by, by the DOD. And so we expect higher volume revenue on some of those. Um, and, <clears throat> sorry, and in terms of margin, um, we've been working very hard on our margins for the last uh, year and a half or so and have been slowly creeping back up towards 40% or 40 plus percent. And so we're at margins of the mid, mid to high 30s right now and expect this and other activities to bring us up to above 40% margin in the longer run. And, and how big of a uh, percentage is uh, defense business and, and then uh, you know, do you expect that to change much? Yeah, so, so that's growing considerably, and we expect it to continue to grow considerably. 
I'd say that when I when I joined the company two and a half years ago, company depended very much on sales in China, not to defense, of course, but to commercial and consumer. About a third of the backlog and of the sales were um, in China. Today, China is down to you know less than 10%, I think, of our sales, while at the same time, we're growing considerably. And that entire growth is coming from the US and Europe and very significantly driven by defense. And so it's a good time for us in terms of where we are with the technology, the need for that technology, and having manufacturing both in US and in uh, Europe that can address the defense markets without needing to rely on anything from Asia, really, at that point. So, so how do we track the acceptance of Mantis and how well that's doing? Are you going to put out news releases as you get orders, or, or what events or catalysts should we yeah. look for? Yeah, absolutely. I plan on our regular earnings call once a quarter to, to dedicate a part to that and give just updates on business development activities and different activities related to the Mantis and that solution. We expect the adoption into a high-volume application to take quite a while, um, especially in, in the defense. Those things can take a year to two years. So I very much doubt, even though I'd love to see it, I very much doubt that we're going to announce an order for thousands of cameras any time in the next few months. And so the progress is going to be in small activities, small updates that we're going to try to share with shareholders as much as possible in terms of how many customers are testing the camera, how many cameras are out in field testing, what kind of applications were they used for, what are we seeing uh, where this is effective, and how are we working on next versions or more advanced versions of the camera. Very good. Sam, is there something that you wish I would have asked you that I hadn't? Um, no, I mean, I, I think you'd, maybe you would have asked me why is the stock so undervalued? And I probably would have pointed out that uh, when I came on board, within a year we found significant um, fraud in our China operation and have been cleaning it up. And that has impacted our short-term financials for the last year, year and a half about. And I believe that impacted our stock. And hopefully now with a record backlog that is nearly 50% higher than our average backlog, 30% higher than the previous record, and a very significant shift towards defense, towards higher, um, more complicated solutions, hopefully the stock will recover. Very nice. Well, Sam, thanks so much for sharing the Lightpath story. Absolutely. Thanks for having me again, Jeff.